Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. As usual, very excited for this week's guest. She has four OUA medals when she attended the University of Western when she was a Mustang. She earned her Master's in Nutrition from Ryerson. She's competed for Canada at the McCovey Games, and she just started her own company, Compete Nutrition. So we're going to hear all about it. Please welcome to the show, Asia Jimmo. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. So you're, you're a business owner now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I guess so. It's still really, really fresh. <laughs> awesome. Don't call me CEO or anything. <laughs> no, no. You have to get business cards that say that. <laughs> That's true. CEO, founder, president, everything, all the labels, there marketing, exactly. sales. It, it goes, all of it goes into it, right? Head of accounting, everything. Like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, one of my friends is an accountant. She'll cover it. Cat. <laughs> oh, see, volleyball people, it's all coming together. I'll have to plug what episode number she was to get people to go back and listen to that. I was going to. So yeah, let's start with the volleyball stuff, and we can circle back and talk about your nutrition empire that you're starting. But uh, we recently had another uh, friend of the show, Alex Paletta, was on the show, and she name dropped your club team was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You guys won provincials in 18U, and we were just talking before the show. Uh, Gabby Machikowski, who's overseas playing. Uh, Tia, who's a beach world champion playing in the NCAA right now. Alex Paletta, who's going full-time beach. Uh, yourself, you had a pretty stacked team. So what do you remember about uh, kind of club growing up in Ontario? Um, well, I played for Scarborough Titans for the majority of my career. It was just my 18U that I decided to move and go to Side, but it was definitely a really great decision for me. And um, we had a lot of fun that year. The team was really great. I remember, I think we had about like four OBA All-Stars that year. So it seemed like we were kind of stacked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was great. All the girls are great. Still like pretty close with some of them. And what went into your recruiting process? Cause people will hear your name and they'll be like, Oh, I, th- I think your brother plays for UCLA, right? So were you ever considering going to the NCAA as well? Or was Ontario or maybe another province in sports going to be the spot for you? Like how did it come about in your 17 year or 18 year when you were looking? Um, I think when I was in grade 12, like I obviously wanted to play in the NCAA, but Um, I didn't really put too much effort into, you know, sending out recruiting tapes and emails to coaches. Um, Same goes for everything out of province. Like, um, UBC would have been cool, but I kind of just left it all up to chance. And, like, whichever coach reached out to me first was who's going to get me. (laughs) There was a little time, um, I think, in, like, January and December where I didn't even think I was going to be playing university volleyball. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So you chose Western based on like the program you wanted to study, like you had that pretty well sorted out? Yeah, like program, um, the campus. Um, Yeah, I think Western is pretty much just like everything but volleyball. Volleyball was just kind of the icing on the cake for me. Nice. And you did play varsity there. So what were some of your early conversations with Melissa, who was, I think she was in her second year when you arrived. So you might have been her true like first recruiting class, right? Yeah, like me, Kelsey, and then I think eight other rookies were her, her (laughs) recruiting class. Um, but it was kind of just, uh, I think I saw her at a tournament once and I was like, yeah, I want to go to Western. And then she's like, okay, let's, uh, get you over for a visit and then, uh, sign the papers at the next tournament. So it was like really easy just cause <laughs> I, I had already decided that I wanted to go there. We were just waiting for my acceptance. With the youth movement you just talked about, we had Kat Siopas on the show that we already mentioned, but... She mentioned her first year was rough, like Western had a, a tough go, and then, like like you said, eight rookies show up. Did you think the OUA was kind of easy, because it was the first year, like, you're starting, Kelsey's starting, like, was it just, like, Club 2.0, or did you <laughs> did you notice a big jump going into the OUA? Going into the OUA from the OVA, um, I think there were three rookies who were starting, so it was me, Kelsey, and uh, Taylor, and, oh no, four rookies, me, Kelsey, Taylor, and Courtney, and... 
we none of us had the confidence to know that we could actually like beat some of the teams so in our first year we had tons of five setters that we would lose in five sets and we were kind of I don't think we really reflected on it thinking like oh I think we can beat these teams it wasn't until um in our quarterfinal that we played Mac and they were our only rivals at the time and we ended up beating them then we were like okay I guess we can we're actually good like <laughs> we can move forward here but um in terms of level of play I didn't see much of a difference but I also wasn't passing I was just a just a hitting right side so um that was a lot different but also cat was like unreal and serena and laura our captains were great as well so you mentioned the rivalry thing which i always think is funny and cat hinted at this when we had her on the show that i think a lot of people think they're rivals with western but it's neat to hear you say that like mac was the rival right so why yeah. do you think in the oua so many people get up for the western game like is it part of like western and it's in london and it's kind of like I don't know if Ontario had an Ivy League, I'd say Western's probably it. Or, or was it because you guys were competitive and teams knew they were going to get a good game? Like, what goes into this rivalry that is Western? Because you can't be a rivalry with everybody, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, well, for women's volleyball, it, it's probably only uh, Mac. I'm not sure about now. But um, I think it's also because Western has, like, so many varsity teams. I think we have, like, 40 varsity teams. So we're always competing in every event or every um, sports tournament. Um, whereas some teams, I think like Queens only has about eight or 10 varsity teams. So oh, when you keep seeing point. Western everywhere, <laughs> it's just kind of like, oh, I guess we, they're the ones to beat because we have 40 varsity teams and like 3,000 student athletes. So you mentioned the, the quarterfinal win against Mac kind of confirmed it for you, but to earn four OUA medals, did the confidence just grow every year because you had the core group or what kind of kept influencing? Because for you guys to go to nationals... Was that your final year you finally made nationals or was it the year before? Uh, my third year. It was your third year, yeah. right? So obviously building confidence every year, but what started to click when you guys were kind of getting it done on the OUA level and got to compete on the national stage? I'm not sure. I think we just kind of realized that just our confidence grew because like having that big group of rookies move and medal and move up to second year and then third year and consistently medal. It's just um, based on our confidence and like what standard we hold ourselves to. Because the standard in first year was just like, let's just go out there and play. But then in second year and third year and fourth year, it was more like, okay, now we have something to prove and kind of defend. As an athlete, did you enjoy that? Or did you kind of just like to play free? Like I've, I've heard athletes speak and I, I deal with it in coaching now where some people shy away from expectations or some people really like having expectations. And like you said, like a standard, which one were you kind of more comfortable with when you were at Western? Well, that's a good question. I think I have expectations for myself. Um, and those are kind of what will guide me, like that intrinsic motivation. If you were to place extrinsic, extrinsic motivation on me, like revoking my playtime or something, I don't think, like I don't think that really uh, went well with me. <laughs> Had to come from within. <laughs> um, but for everybody else on the team, I mean, we were all different. But the girl I coach a seventeen U team, a seventeen U girls team now, and they're very much like they need extrinsic motivation. And for the coaches to be like, yeah, we're very disappointed. We expect more from you. I think they're looking for us to set those expectations for them. But then when you get to university level, you're supposed to have your own expectations. Um, and then the coaches are kind of supposed to guide you towards them if you don't know how to make those expectations for yourself. But um, we all kind of... Oh, Melissa was really into um, doing like team group activities and like figuring out our goals, individual goals and team goals at the beginning of the season. 
I think that's a good way to go about it. I'm coaching a club team this year, and they're very high achievers. Like some of them go to very good schools and they do well. But I was speaking to one of their high school teachers, who's a, a very good uh, name of the volleyball community. I won't sell her out on this, just in case her boss is listening. But what she's learned is, yeah, most youth athletes right now rely on the external stuff. So it's their parents pushing them to get good grades and get into this university, and they want their coaches to be the one who push them. Right where I think everything that that we've read and been told is high high level athletes is the internal matters more, right? So is there anything you've tried with your club team that maybe you could give a tip to a coach listening right now that's worked for you? Because, yeah, it can't just be, oh, I'm disappointed in you guys, yeah. or you light them up <laughs> and yell at them to perform. There has to be more to it than that, right? Yeah, you kind of have to ask them individually, like, what are your goals? Like, do you even want to play at the next level? Um, and just make sure that they have that in the back of their minds, that, like, they do want to play at the next level and they should be taking practices and tournaments seriously. So a highlight for you then would have been competing at nationals, and I think your year was extra special because Ryerson was hosting, but the gym changed, right? So they weren't in the uh, Coca-Cola court or wherever they play their home games now. It was actually on ice level in old Maple Leaf Gardens, yeah, right? So that was unreal. <laughs> I think as a fan, it was interesting to walk in and see that place full, and then obviously you're playing against different teams, and I think out west was really good that year. I think UBC and Trinity were especially strong in Alberta was good, so getting a good match every time you play, what was your kind of first impressions of being at Nationals? Like, the venue's cool, you're playing new teams. Like, what do you remember from that? It was just, like, walking down to the court level and seeing just, like, this massive arena around you was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Um, and then going up against, like, Player of the Year, Danny Breezewa, because our first game was against UBC, our quarterfinal, and, like, we didn't win. But we took a set <laughs> off them. <laughs> um... That was, like, unreal, because I, I was matched up with her, like, I had to block her, and she's, like, player of the year, like, so good at volleyball. That was wild. And, like, our team, we were, st like, the majority of us were probably in third year. Um, that's when Tia played with us, too, at Western. Yes, that yeah. is right, yeah. Yeah. So, it was, like, that one game was really, really fun, and um, it's just good volleyball all around. Like, that's what people come to watch, and that's, like, what we enjoy playing. Nobody wants to watch it crappy game where nobody wants to play in a crappy game so that was probably really sweet just knowing that the whole weekend was going to be like unreal volleyball so as an athlete were you focused on your nutrition and how you were fueling did you notice like a difference in your performance or when did you decide like this is what you were going to study and like is this kind of a way for you to stay in sport was that also one of the goals or what got you so interested in this that you made it your career your business your your whole future basically is talking about nutrition now yeah and uh <laughs> In high school, like, I knew that I really liked chemistry, and I liked food, and I played <laughs> volleyball, so I was like, okay, it's really, nutrition is quite applicable to playing volleyball, and it's a mix of food and chemistry, so <laughs> I should just go into nutrition, um, so that's where that started, but in first year, like, there's so much coming at you, especially when you move away from home, so I wasn't as focused on school as I should have been, so I did not apply the things I was learning, um, so in first and second year, um, I didn't know how to cook. So I was on the Frosted Flakes diet, which is, <laughs> which is pretty much a cereal all day, which is not good. I don't recommend it. But it wasn't until third year that I started getting more serious about school because I knew that I had to go do a master's if I wanted to continue. Um, that's when I started taking everything I'd learned, started cooking, and really applying all of the sport nutrition principles that I'd learned in school, healthy eating, all of that stuff. And I saw like a huge difference from before and after because some of the signs of not fueling properly is like lack of motivation. Um, you're tired at the end of the week. So like your games are at the end of the week. And if you're tired at the end of the week because you're not fueling properly, that takes a big toll. 
So once I started fueling properly and like really taking care of what I was eating, I saw a huge difference in my energy levels. Um, I just enjoyed playing a lot more. And that year was probably our best season because we made it to nationals. So is there any like uh, example you could give us right now that like somebody could apply? Like it, it can be a little bit overwhelming in how consistent you need to be with nutrition, but kind of what did you start to fuel yourself with that wasn't time consuming, right? Because you're still a full-time student, you're a full-time varsity athlete. So you replace cereal with what? Like what were some small changes <laughs> that maybe somebody could make this week and notice a difference? Honestly, just trying to add fruits and vegetables in and like it doesn't take much. Like sometimes I would just like cut up carrots and have that with my meal. Like fruits and vegetables go a really long way, especially with recovery because it's full of antioxidants, things that you need to recover after a hard practice. Um, another thing would be adding protein with all of your snacks and meals because athletes, they're working hard and they're um, their bodies need protein to help them recover. So that would also help them meet their protein goals as well and ensure that they're maintaining their muscle mass, which you need to, you know, jump high, uh, dig, <laughs> serve everything. <laughs> so when looking at uh, master's programs, what made you land on Ryerson? Because obviously volleyball wasn't going to be an option for you during your master's, right? So uh, was this stay close to home? You really liked the program at Ryerson? Maybe it was a co-op? Like, what would you kind of recommend about the, uh, excuse me, the nutrition program at Ryerson? Um, well, for me, there, so there's two ways to become a registered dietitian after you've done the undergrad. You can either do a master's um, that's combined with a practicum, or you can just do the practicum. I'm not sure if that's changed since I did the program, but that's, how, that's the only route I could take. The thing about the just the practicum program is that um, they're usually out of hospitals and I'm not really interested in clinical inpatient nutrition. Um, sport nutrition is what I want to do. So I chose the like master's program because then I would be able to kind of make my own practicum placements. And it was between Western and Ryerson. And if I had gone to Western, I probably would have played a fifth year. But yeah, I did want to stay close to home. And I kind of wanted to move on a little bit because in fourth year, volleyball and I didn't have the best relationship, <laughs> but I wanted to move forward and like move towards my actual career, which is being a dietitian instead of trying to hold on to volleyball. But I still coach, so I do get to, I'm still in like the volleyball world and I still really enjoy it. Um, but I thought professionally it was time for me to get started with something new. With so many of your teammates playing at such a high level, like we mentioned from your club days, like Gabby's overseas, Kelsey mm -hmm. from Western would have been over there. Did you ever consider looking into an agent and maybe going to Europe or you kind of chose the academic route and that was going to be kind of your goal and what you were going to strive for next? Um, yeah, I knew that after fourth year, I probably wasn't going to play after that, but I didn't. It was mainly just because I had started applying for master's and I didn't really give myself time to think that, oh, I guess I could defer the acceptance and go play a year. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Um, but also I've heard a lot of stories about going overseas and I don't think that just because fourth year, my relationship with volleyball wasn't that great. I probably wouldn't have been able to stick it out overseas when it's the only thing that you're focused on. Um, and I do like variety. So I think that my volleyball career ending after fourth year was probably like on a high note instead of going overseas and maybe not liking it. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't really want to take the chance and wanted to start my dietetics career. <laughs> yeah. One thing we're learning on the show is sometimes when athletes accept an offer, you really don't know what you're getting into. Like mm -hmm. you don't really know about the club until you're already their property and you land on site and yeah. you might be in a league that allows foreigners. So you might have some North Americans that make it a little bit more comfortable or We've also talked to athletes who are the only foreigner on their team, right? So you might be 
limited who you're interacting with and speaking English. And that's a lot of hours to fill in during the day if it's not for you. And then if you're not feeling volleyball at that time, it kind of deflates you in a hurry, I think. Right. So it's yeah. not for everybody and it's good to hear a different yeah. perspective for sure. But like definitely playing overseas and like the traveling experience and kind of the, the growth that you would get from doing something like that is major. So um, if it would be a rocky experience for some people, like just uh, think about how much you're going to mature when you get home. And you did go, did you visit a couple teammates? Did you, were you one of the Western alumni who went over and visited Kelsey at her club? Yeah, I went to go watch her season opener in uh, Russia. She plays for um, the Millenniums, I think that's what they're called. Um, Unreal volleyball. Like she, I think she's in the WNBA of like, or the NBA of women's volleyball in Italy. I think that's like one of the best leagues in the world. Definitely. Like for her to get that out of university, I think was a big step for her and Big crowds there, according to social media. It looks like a lot Huge. of people watch games there, and they get into it. <laughs> they have, they actually have like a fan club who goes there, and there's like a band, and they yeah. have like drums and stuff. The entire game, they sing the same song, and they don't stop. <laughs> and they love Kelsey, and Kelsey's a starter too, which is awesome for her first year of playing. And yeah, she's so good. I was like blown away by how good the volleyball was <laughs> when I went. Awesome. So going back to your academics, then, so you choose Ryerson, you get into your masters. Uh, how does it come across that you're now shipped off to Ottawa and you're going to work with uh, the Carleton women's varsity hockey team? Like, how did uh, yeah. <laughs> do you approach your placement? Do they approach you? Like, I, I'm very curious how this came together because you growing up with the GTA, you go to school in Western, and all of a sudden you're in Ottawa yep. working with the women's <laughs> hockey team. So how did that come about? So I have I have these uh, a couple a couple goals, and some of them are like living in Vancouver, um, Montreal, and Ottawa. So we have a practicum coordinator who kind of coordinates all of our placements. And I told her, she knew from my application that I wanted to do sport nutrition. So she said, oh, there's this great sport nutrition named Beth Mansfield who lives in Ottawa. And she arranges a placement for you to be the only nutrition um, or dietetics person with the Ottawa or Carleton women's hockey team. So I was like, okay, yeah, sign me up. Ottawa is one of the cities I want to live in. So let's do that. So I literally just... I had no idea what I was walking into. <laughs> I just packed my bags, moved to Ottawa, and ended up in a rink. So a lot yeah. different from the court. Because even a school like Carlton, they don't have women's volleyball. So you wouldn't have been like familiar and been in their gym, right? So just Nothing. a totally different experience. So Yeah. They have it... great facilities, though. That's good news. <laughs> yeah, definitely committed to sports. Like, obviously, their their basketball programs are, are famous for what the, the men's team was able to do and how many runs of youth sports championships they put together there. So Yeah, they're about to play in the uh, finals. The men's basketball or the OUA finals. <laughs> we talk about standards and expectations. I feel like that's theirs. Like it's it's probably a down year for them if they're not playing in the national final. Like oh yeah, I could see that. <laughs> so with women's hockey and their level of athletes, would you say it's it was similar to your experience in volleyball, or do they need to fuel a little bit different than say a volleyball athlete? Um, at the end of the day, most team sports it comes down to just making sure that you're meeting your carbohydrate requirements um, for energy and. Hockey's a little bit different because in between periods they have um, a couple extra minutes to like refuel. So they'll come into the team room, grab all the snacks they put out, and then go back out there. Whereas volleyball, like you don't really eat <laughs> in between like timeouts. Maybe on the beach you do, but not much in indoor. It's really just water. It's the only thing that you have time for. Um, but in terms of fueling requirements for the sport specifically, um, it really just was a matter of making sure that they're eating enough carbohydrates and protein afterwards. And how open was their coaching staff to you being involved? Like, uh, 
if, if you did kind of set up a program, were you welcome in the team room after the first period to kind of help them with their nutrition? Or was that team time and they were getting like the Disney-like speech to get fired up for the second? Like how... No, I think How they open were me. they to you, like, behind the closed door situations? Yeah, I think they wanted me around a lot more than I was. Nice. Because I was at practices and games. They even brought me to the Maritimes. We had a three-day tournament, and I had to prepare all the food. But, yeah, they wanted me in there and, like, involved. And Pierre, um, who's the head coach, he was really great about that. Like, wanted to make sure that his athletes just were, were just prepared and ready to face, you know, competitions, games tournaments, practices, um, and he just wanted to make sure that they were fueling properly because he knows how important nutrition is to athletic performance. It's very important, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he really wanted me in there all the time, which was really great, and it was very welcoming. Was that refreshing to you to join another sport where, obviously, you being a high-level athlete but not really playing hockey at a high level, you, you could show off your nutrition skills and learn about the athletes that way, but also pay attention to a different game and try to learn tactics and stuff. Was that, like, refreshing to you? Because you're, you're kind of following a varsity schedule if you're going to their practices and their games, so it's a lot of hours that you're used to, but it had to be something new and different, right? Yes. Um, I bought a coat in August so I could sit in the rink and not freeze, <laughs> freeze to death. Um, but usually at games, I would have one of the players sit beside me and kind of explain what was going on. Because, <laughs> I mean, my brother played hockey, but I never played hockey. I don't really watch it. So it was a brand new experience. And um, just the team culture is a lot different from volleyball team culture. Um, and... Obviously, like, they're all wearing so much gear. I never knew which one was which. So <laughs> so the best part about that was having that um, one of the, the members on the team, like, telling me what was going on. <laughs> nice. All right. Try not to put you on the spot, but I do have some practical stuff that uh, I, I'm, I've thought of, but I hopefully will benefit the audience as well. It's just some practical stuff. So we talked about volleyball players don't really eat much during the match, but... Uh, one thing our, our beach guys are experimenting with a little bit is they'll try to eat something pretty quick and easy to digest, like maybe half a banana, or they'll have water and like a either a sport drink or something to kind of replenish some other stuff. Is there any stuff that you would kind of recommend to indoor? Because like you said, like the, the time between sets, I believe, is three minutes by the rules, right? So mm -hmm. is there anything if they really find that they're, they're losing focus or they're losing energy or they're even feeling hungry during a game that they could do uh, on those side switches? Um, are you referring to OVA tournaments or games? Like uh, games? We can I would say both. I would say games because even OVA tournaments, it, it feels like once you win your quarter, you play your semi, and then either your your bronze medal match or your gold medal match is as soon as the ref decides. So yeah. you feel like you have three minutes to kind of prepare for that, right? Yeah, so it's so quick. What are some quick things that athletes can do that are one not going to upset their stomach, but mm -hmm. two kind of fuel them a little bit because the the time crunch that you feel during those OVA days where you're playing five or six matches in a day or a yeah. beach tournament where it just go, go, go. Yeah. So definitely for tournaments, I would recommend um, having bench snacks. So things like that are really easy to digest, low in fiber and also low in fat. So half a banana would be fine. But some people do get stomach upset with a banana. So sometimes oranges are really good because it's pretty much just juice. Um and sometimes Gatorade, like definitely I'd say Gatorade for beach athletes who are competing all day. Um, but these are for tournaments. You don't always need Gatorade. But if you do feel like you're losing some, some juice, definitely grab a Gatorade or um, any fruit is usually good. Some crackers or pretzels are also good options because those are also salty. So it can help replenish what you've lost when you're sweating. Um, for games... 
Um, for games, you can probably get away with the bench snacks again. I remember one game, we were playing York, and we were in the fifth set. I think this is my third year, and I was not zoned in at all. I wasn't focused at all. And um, some team had hit eight points, so we were switching sides. But for some reason, I thought we were also getting a timeout, so I went into my bag and grabbed, like, a cliff bar and like <laughs> stuffed it in my face and then Kelsey's like Asia what are you doing she's like on the court calling me over she's like what are you doing like get on the court because I was on the sidelines expecting to have a timeout but I was so out of it I just needed a snack so I grabbed a cliff bar um and I was fine after that but oranges pretzels crackers apple slices anything that's really easy to digest um and then Gatorade if you really feel like you need it I noticed this a lot when I used to work at the OVA and, and was a big part of the uh, the beach tour is I see a lot of kids drinking like sports drinks or juices and they kind of ignore water, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think that contributes to like some sports drinks. I just don't want to pick on Gatorade, but Gatorade's the most famous <laughs> one. Or even chocolate milk. They have such good marketing budgets that they make you think like that's the be all end all. Yeah. But with the sugar that comes in and all the other things, like would you encourage athletes that water should be like the, the number one thing that they're drinking and the other things are kind of a compliment to that? Yeah, so definitely water is my beverage of choice um, outside of sports and in sports. Um, but for young kids, like um, athletes who play at the club level, definitely you want to focus on water first um, before Gatorade or anything because those things also have tons of sugar in them and um, it has been associated with childhood obesity. Is that too scientific? No, that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you want to make sure that you're not overloading on the calories. But the thing about tournaments is that um, you're going all day and you need to keep recovering after that. So definitely you want to have water. But if you do feel like you need an extra boost, um, then, yeah, I would recommend sometimes going for the Gatorade. But it really depends on the person. So I guess the bottom line here is make water your drink of choice. Um, and then if you really need it, go for Gatorade, but Gatorade should never be the first thing that you're reaching for. And same with chocolate milk. The reason why I would recommend chocolate milk in a tournament setting is because it's got carbs and protein to help you recover quickly. Um, but that's for those three minute sessions or three minute timeouts where you only have that amount of time. Um, but tournaments don't always run like that. You usually have a little bit more time. So if you do have more time, definitely grab like, um, a sandwich with like, turkey on it like a turkey sandwich would be a perfect recovery thing you don't always need to go for your chocolate milk uh you kind of hinted at the the women's hockey team and their big goal was to get as many calories as they need um i i kind of hinted at you or not hinted at you i i messaged you for one of my coaching courses where we discovered one of our beach athletes needs about four thousand calories a day yeah so (laughs) when a high level athlete needs that much is there like a rule of thumb that like food is better or when we start talking about like shakes and stuff, can, can you drink that many calories? Like do you lose any value by doing a shake versus eating a sandwich? Um, the only thing with shakes is that because it's liquid, it doesn't fill you up as much. And if you're hungry during the game, like that's really distracting. Um, but for a 4,000 calorie diet, that's pretty, people you need to eat that much in a day are typically, Um, eating probably four meals a day anyways, plus snacks. So it's probably just within their routine because your body already kind of knows what it needs to do in order to fuel itself. Um, So you probably wouldn't be following the standard like three meals a day routine. You probably already know that you have to eat four or five meals a day just because based on your hunger cues. So um, with athletes like that, you want to start with the food first approach. And if they really can't meet it, then you can move to like shakes and smoothies. But you can add 
high calorie foods to your meals. So like avocado is one that I usually recommend or like peanut butter um, because they're high fat foods, but still like have a, like a good amount of other nutrients instead of just going for something that would be like Gatorade's got calories in it. So instead of going for something like Gatorade, you'd go for like the actual food option that just has more calories in it. So there are ways around it. So usually if you do need that many calories and you don't know where to start, I definitely recommend going to a registered dietitian <laughs> because they're there to help you with that. They focus on all the food stuff and you just have to do what they say. That sounds like the best option for not only myself, but a lot of the athletes I get to work with. <laughs> uh, another one that I always, it, it pops up when I'm coaching athletes is you, you ask them what they had for breakfast and they go, oh, I, I don't eat breakfast. And I'm sure you run into people like that. So what would be your elevator pitch to say that like breakfast is important. You need to have like something, right? Yes. So definitely because athletes are exercising and they already have a higher energy need than most people, why would you miss out on like the 500 calories that you would get from breakfast? That just makes it harder for you to meet your calorie needs. And there's a lot of evidence that shows that if you're not, if you're under fueling, that um, you have an increased risk for injury, illness, you have um, gastrointestinal problems. It's like too sciencey. No, that's good. <laughs> okay. um, what are the other ones? I made a blog post about this. You can probably check it out on my website, www.compete-nutrition.ca. Nice, nice. <laughs> but... Um, there's so many problems when you're not fueling enough and that just goes for not eating enough calories. And so if you're skipping breakfast, you're missing out on like a big chunk of calories that you definitely need in order to help you perform at your best. So always eat breakfast. That's the number one thing I tell people. Like if you're gonna take something away from listening to a registered dietitian, I'd say eat breakfast. All right, my last practical one that I think this covers the things that have popped up for me that I really had no idea about. Um, Tell me about this 20 or 30 minute window you have after a workout or exercise. So this is something that you've helped with my club team that I've noticed mm -hmm. they're packing snacks and they're eating after practice. Um, what, what is this timeline? Why is it so important after exercise to eat? And is it, is it 20 minutes or what does the science say? So the science actually says like, it used to be like a 30 minute window. So this is when people at the gym, right after their gym, they'd be like sprinting to their bags to go get their protein shakes. <laughs> but it's really not like that anymore. The It's more of like a barn door. It's not really a window. Okay. So um, it goes from like zero to four hours. And the thing about the four hour mark is like, that's when your body's most susceptible to carbohydrates and protein. So it's gonna use everything and kind of help you recover a lot faster than if you waited longer than that. So for athletes, you want to be eating your, you want to be getting your recovery nutrients in. So these are carbs, protein, and water in during that zero to four hour mark. However, when you do have more than um, one practice a day, so say you have your school volleyball practice and then you have to go run to your club practice. There's two practices right there and you've had your school volleyball practice, but you, you still want to perform well at your club volleyball practice. So you should be eating within probably half an hour to one hour before that practice, just because then you get the recovery nutrients that you need and then you're able to recover quick enough to still play well in that second practice of the day. So if you have two practices, it's no longer a four hour window, it's more like you wanna eat within half an hour after that um, and then have your meal and then you can go and practice still at a high intensity. Does so that is, make sense? Is the timing <laughs> of the meals important or is it almost how many calories you're getting in during the day and, I, and the reason I ask this is we have a couple uh, beach national team athletes that kind of they set their schedules that they're eating almost every two to three hours right mm -hmm. so 
Um, the timing after workouts makes total sense. So thank you for that answer. But the, the total meals, and this isn't a full meal all the time. It can be like snacks, right? So if you're a high level swimmer, an indoor volleyball player, a hockey player, if you're eating every three hours, it doesn't have to be like a full pasta meal, right? It can be snacks, but yeah. <laughs> um, why does the frequency of the amount of meals you're having really have an influence over your performance? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> From what I've seen in the research, it's a lot of people will break up their eating habits like that and eat like a certain amount um, of meals every day because they're trying to meet their protein needs. So um, in a meal, it's probably what I read this morning is that you want to have a certain amount of grams of protein at each meal. And in order to meet your overall daily protein requirements, you should be having that amount every four hours. And in order to get those gains that everybody's looking for, um, there's kind of a window on how much protein that your body will actually use to make those gains. And it just so happens that like meeting those needs over four or five different eating periods a day, that's um, the way to do it and make sure that you're using all that protein to make those gains that you're looking for. Sorry, I keep thinking of more. Um, <laughs> where do you stand on, um, I don't want to say performance answer because that's not what they are, but if somebody's really into pre-workout or if they, like me, like a good cold can of Red Bull, like how would you stand <laughs> on, on that where... I think the, the, the effect matters, but I think people get into a routine where if there's like a hockey or volleyball player that has a Red Bull before every game, like how would you coach that out of them? Is there something they could put in their diet that's going to replace that energy that's going to be way healthier than the uh, energy drink alternative? Um, yes, I don't recommend energy drinks like <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but, well, when it comes to pre-workout, like there's a lot of stuff in pre-workout that goes into it that you're not really... You don't really know is how like you don't know how it's going to affect you. So and you don't know sometimes there could be illegal substances in it. So if you get drug tested, like you're done. Um, so you want to make sure that all the products that you are using have been tested by a third party organization like NSF. If you're going to be using things like pre workout and protein powder. Um, however, when it comes to energy drinks, like if you are making sure that you're hitting your carbohydrate targets, so. For those of you who may not know, carbohydrates are what give you energy to perform. It provides energy for your body as well as your brain. So you really need to make sure that you're hitting your carbohydrate targets before you're exercising. So you have enough energy to do what you need to do on the court. And if you're hitting those, it's likely that you probably will not need an energy drink because you have enough energy to sustain you throughout your game. However, there is a lot of research. There's tons of research on caffeine and how it affects your performance. But for volleyball players, I mean, there's not that much research out there um, for any ergogenic aids on volleyball players. So um, I think a healthy diet is pretty much all you need in order to excel on the court. So if you had to give me a practical substitution, say, instead of drinking that can of Red Bull, you should have an apple and some water and that would be good enough? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm going to try that and get back to you. <laughs> Bananas and mango are super high in carbohydrates like one banana has about 30 grams of carbohydrates so fun fact, same okay. with same with mango so those are your high carb fruits that can get you lots of carbs in like a small package awesome well thanks for the, the look behind the curtain there and some practical stuff if they want to know more they should just hire you but uh, or start a <laughs> podcast and then just ask you all these questions for free that yeah, works that's just too. as well <laughs> Uh, one volleyball question I did want to follow up on is you were nice enough to participate in the play with the pros this year. And I know when I messaged you the first time, you, you didn't consider yourself a top beach player, but I mean, it's, it's fours on the beach, so we can get indoor, we can get beach people, we can get university, we can get anybody to kind of come to this event. 
what did you think of the event? Because I always get a kick out of it where the people who sign up are there for a good time. Like, it was competitive. Like, it was a good level Very of fours. Yeah. But I think they just want to meet and interact with the pro players. They want to battle out a little bit. I always get a, a big smile on my face when play with the pros comes around every year. Yeah, it was so much fun. I had a blast. And um, it was great because people really just want to know, like, how your career was and what you're doing now. And they... Um, I guess they really do want to play with the pros, but <laughs> <laughs> some of the real pros there, like Jake McNeil, <laughs> were killing it. And um, I think they were really satisfied with the level of play that they were playing at. Like some people were really competitive and getting really into it, which was really great to see because um, it was like a Saturday night. Like you're not really expecting to play such a high level of beach volleyball, but it was quite a high level, even though a lot of those players had never played, you know, varsity or mm-hmm. um, anything past club. I think that's always the the fun side of play with the pros, that when we're planning and we're thinking like, oh, what pros can we get that like all the, the rec style players want to play with? But at the same time, all the pros we've ever had enjoy being around that level of ball too, right? Where there's nobody who's like treated it like it's beneath them because it's just so fun to be in that environment. Everybody's there for the right reasons and it's a great yeah. time. So thank you for being a part of that no this year. No problem. Thanks for hitting me up. At first <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do this. Like, who was it? Becky Pavin's going to be there. Like, I can't compete against her. <laughs> uh, one thing you got the assist with, though, that uh, McFarland he admitted, I think he ate about nine of them. I think Jake got into them. Anna had a bunch. What were in those uh, energy, energy balls? Bites. Yeah, energy bites, yes. Um... Well, I should really put the recipe on my website. <laughs> I think so. Those were a big hit. But really, it's just like peanut butter, coconut, um, cranberries, chocolate chips, and flaxseed, chia seeds. It's just like a whole bunch of good stuff in there that's got a lot of, um, a lot of energy as well. I don't want to comment on your cooking skills, but I would say on the easier side of things to make, right? Yes, definitely. It took <laughs> me like 20 minutes to make. All you do is like put all the ingredients in a bowl, you mix them up. Make the little balls and put it in the freezer, and then you're ready to go. Yeah, so if Chase is listening, he can make his own next time. Because, yeah, uh, I, I think, think I gave had... him the, the recipe, actually. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> had the lion's share of those for sure. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I used to not be able to cook at all, so this is great. <laughs> People enjoy the food I make. Awesome. So I know you've got some other things to do. You're building your empire, but one thing we, we like to do on the show is just tell a funny story where you were playing at the highest level in Canada, you were winning OUA medals, but man, sometimes some funny stuff happens and you get some unique experiences. So uh, we kind of talked before the show, you had a, a fun Euro trip with uh, your Western Mustangs that you're going to share with us that is hilarious. So go ahead, take it, it from there. It was great. It was great. Yeah, Kat stole the prank uh, the prank story. So I guess I'm going to have to go with the next best thing. <laughs> um, we did this kind of Euro trip in third year. We went away to Europe for 10 days and we hit a bunch of countries. We hit Spain, we hit um, the Netherlands, we hit... Paris, and that might have been it, but um, when we got to the Netherlands, that was our first stop, so we had just gotten off like a, a really long flight, we hadn't slept the night before, and um, Melissa, our coach, had enrolled us to play in this tournament, which we thought was like a university tournament, there are going to be university teams from all over the Netherlands coming to this tournament, like apparently it was a really big deal. Um, we show up and it was pretty much a beer league tournament. (laughs) There were teams that were just not at the level of competitiveness that we were looking for. Um, but that wasn't, you know, that was fine because it was still, we got to play volleyball, which is still fun. But, um, it was the accommodations that really shocked us. So we showed up at, 
um, the place that we were staying. We had all our backpacks, all of our stuff, and they bring us into this big, big building, and we're like, okay, this is pretty cool. They bring us upstairs, and it turns out that um, our accommodations was in an elementary school in a classroom, on the floor, sleeping on blow-up mattresses. <laughs> and we were there for three days, and you know those blow-up mattresses lost air the first night. So we were pretty much sleeping on the floor by the end of it. <laughs> but it was all 20 of us crammed into this tiny classroom. There's nowhere to walk. Um, blow-up mattresses are all over the place. Our clothes are all over the place. Jerseys, shoes, smelly knee pads. It was very, very interesting. Um, and none of us were expecting it, so... That was great. Good team bonding experience. I was going to say, <laughs> nothing says team building like just a, a circumstance like that where you think you're staying in a hotel and all of a sudden you're in a classroom sleeping on the floor. Like, you, you build some bonds through that, I feel. Exactly. We got really close <laughs> after that. I mean, we were already close, but <laughs> it was better. And then we, um, they offered food for all the athletes. So we'd go down for food in the morning, and it turns out that it was like, all they gave us was like bread and Nutella and the chocolate <laughs> sprinkles. I think it's called Haggisla or something. Um, and that's what we ate for three days. And apple juice, which they call apple sap over there. I think a lot of athletes would be pretty fired up to have that though. Like you being a <laughs> nutrition, like going into your master's, like taking this pretty seriously. I think you you probably knew better, but I think there'd be some first years who'd be like, what? Nutella? Exactly. Let's do this. Nutella <laughs> for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I'm a fan too. I love Nutella. <laughs> carbs baby <laughs> awesome well we've taken a lot of your time i want to thank you for coming on the show open invite to to come on and we're still chasing down your brother but if you have an inside <laughs> connection with him we'll have to get him on soon but thanks uh, for having me this was great so if you like what you heard uh you can contact asia through compete nutrition so what's your instagram or website or email what's the best way to get a hold of you right now um definitely hit me up on instagram it's compete.nutrition um, recently changed that. I actually had to rebrand. Yeah, so our club team hired you. You came in and did... It was very practical. That's what I appreciate is we just didn't hit the guys with science in the brain and say, talk about carbs and protein <laughs> and stuff. It was like, after practice, you can make this and this has this in it and this in it and this in yeah. it. We talked about the importance where uh, for coaches' benefit, I thought it was amazing. For 17-year-old boys, I thought it was really practical and, and they, they've got a lot out of it. So uh, I would definitely give you the five-star review and recommend you to anybody where it's not just... Here's a one pager with a bunch of science on it. It was we could apply it right away, which I really appreciated. So, uh, they can reach out to you. That uh, is that the kind of the best thing you're doing right now is you want to work with athletes. So teams should contact you, individual athletes. Um, yeah, um, I really want to work with teams. I do some team workshops, um, and I make resources as I did for your team, um, like infographics and things. Um, but yeah, I do like working with teams and individual athletes. If you're looking for a meal plan, I've done that as well. Um, I don't want to, you know, sell myself too much, but, <laughs> but, uh, I just like helping make sure that athletes are fully fueled and able to play at their best. Yeah. And as we learned today, even if it's a sport you've never played or even seen, you'll, you'll pick it up <laughs> eventually and high level athletes are high level athletes. We all need fueling, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. There's tons of literature on hockey. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. And volleyball a little bit. Yeah. Just keep hitting the big ones. And then if, I don't know. Basketball and football have so much. I feel so like football, when I laugh at like some of our athletes need 4,000, I would like to see what like a high-level football player needs because those are some huge, yeah. huge athletes. So. O-line guys, they, they drink so many smoothies. <laughs> I don't think you could eat that much calories. They need to drink them at some point because there's just too many to get in a day. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. That's what you go to a dietitian for, <laughs> to help you figure out how to fit all those calories in. I just, I don't think eating would be fun if you're just constantly thinking about it all day like they are. But yeah, anyways. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs>
Awesome. Well, you're on to your next meeting, so we'll let you go. But uh, thanks again for taking the time. Thanks for having me.